Hey, deserving listeners. A lot of you have been emailing me to talk about the new Netflix movie called To the Bone. Again, it's called To the Bone. It's kind of an odd name to, to say. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a phrase, not necessarily a movie title, but anyway, called To the Bone. And 2017, directed by Marty Knox and stars Lily Collins. There's a lot of buzz about this movie on the internet because of its uh, depiction of anorexia and other eating disorders. And uh, I, so people have been emailing me saying, hey, you should talk about this new Netflix movie called To the Bone. And so I watched it and I actually have a lot to say about it. But it, uh, although I have treated a fair amount of people with eating disorders, I thought I would have my colleague and friend come on the show who is a super expert on eating disorders, oh Laura Matthews. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. So Laura has so much, as I was watching this movie, about every 30 seconds, I thought, oh, I wonder what Laura would say about this. Because I, 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 I don't know if I was watching Laura's life or if I was watching a depiction of Laura's life. Laura uh, has worked in a home for people with eating disorders, and that's a major part of this movie is is a home in which the star Lily Collins Ellen is the character goes to one of these uh homes for young people with eating disorders and there are all these little quirks and little details that I, I kept wondering I wonder is is this what it was like for Laura because it in my mind so <laughs> Laura just to go down a little further road here <laughs> I was supervising you while you were working at yes this home and have talked with you outside of that experience as well. And in my head, I always had a picture in my mind about what that looked like. Yeah. And it wasn't like the thing in the movie. So I, so let's get into that in a second. That's, that's what I'm really curious about. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Laura? My name is Laura Matthews. I'm a therapist and adjunct, or no, I'm not adjunct anymore. I'm teaching faculty at Antioch University. I also have a private practice in West Seattle called Family Stability Counseling. Family Stability Counseling, yes. West Seattle, beautiful yes. West Seattle. And you were just last month promoted from adjunct to, well, you were adjunct well, yeah. and you were affiliate yeah. and for a year. You were adjunct for a year? I've lost track. Yeah. I, I was I was definitely adjunct for a year. I was then affiliate for Maybe some additional time. I, I would think it's about nine months is what yeah. I want. A few quarters at least. And now you're full time teaching faculty. Indeed. How does that feel? Really good. I'm yeah. really enjoying it. I really like being connected to the university more and just seeing more of my colleagues and students. And I've taught now to the point where I I it's I cannot go to campus without seeing droves of past students, and it's so cool too. Um, just hear what they're up to. And a lot of them that I initially first taught are now an internship. And that's just really cool to see their, their journey. So I, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways, you're more connected to the student body than the rest of us because you don't teach case consultation. And therefore, right. every quarter you have a whole new batch, particularly of, of first quarter students, first or first, second, third quarter students. Yeah. And you even have students in the CMHC program. And yeah, yeah. so when you walk around campus, people probably know you personally uh, t 10 times more than they know me. I didn't even think about it that way. But yeah, yeah I mean, I just I teach a lot of core classes. So right. I, I just 
have connections with a lot of students. Right. It's, it's cool. I really like it. Yeah. It's yeah. really great. Well, uh, it's wonderful to see you take to this so well. When I first uh, started working with you as an instructor, no offense, I had no idea how you would do. <laughs> <laughs> You've never said that to me. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I hoped you'd do well, and you, I knew you wanted to do well, but yeah. it's sort of like when you find out one of your friends just became pregnant for the first time and you try to imagine them becoming a mother and you yeah. just can't see it, but you just have to trust that like, well, those instincts will kick in. That's how it was for me. I, I, I thought I can't see it in my head. Interesting. But not that you're any different from anyone else. It's yeah. just like, I, I didn't see you as that sort of person, you know, cause I'd seen you in, in different contexts. Yeah. But once I saw you in the role, uh, I was instantly, uh, believing just like that first moment when you see a mother with her infant, uh, you, I don't know why this analogy is going down this road. I, this is quite the analogy. <laughs> so let's get into this movie, uh, to the bone. So let, I have this sort of laid out in terms of, uh, let's just talk about general reactions and then we'll talk about actual portrayals of the eating disorder in the movie. We'll talk about, and then we'll talk about more specifically the, the group home uh, program that they have. And, and then after that, we'll talk about how the whole story ends. You know, there's, there's a very quick ending to the, to the story at the end. And Sounds then we, great. we can talk a little bit about the production. So, um, so what were your uh, sort of general reactions? Did you like the movie? Did you not like the movie? Was it entertaining? Hmm. What, how many stars out of 10 would you give it? Oh, my. What a question. I, I'm not sure I can answer that question because it's not this – is, this is so – initial reactions to this film. Uh, I, I, I have mixed feelings about this, but um, – I've got a lot of reasons for my mixed feelings. So, I mean, out of 10, it depends on what you're looking at in my perspective. Are you looking at entertainment value? Or are you looking at accuracy? Like accurate entertainment. Yeah. Entertainment. It's, a, it's a movie. It's sure. like, it's like okay. Batman v Superman. It's, it's Star Wars. If you're it's, looking for entertainment value, I mean, I, I think that it's a, I think that it is entertaining, which is such an odd way to talk about something that I'm so clinically involved in, because um, a large part of my practice is, is eating disorder but, treatment. But it's meant to be entertaining. It's not yes. meant, It's not a documentary. Right. It's not a clinical vignette. Right. It's meant to entertain. Yes. Now, the, the, the producers know that a lot of eyes are going to be on it regarding its accuracy. Yeah. But it's purely a mode of, of passing the time. You get home after work, you, you eat dinner, and you want to flip something on Netflix, and you go, oh, I guess I'll watch this new Netflix movie and pass the time and be entertained. That's the point, right? Hmm. I, I mean, that's the point of Netflix. I, I'm just telling yes, you. Yes, like, no, I totally. Netflix doesn't Netflix give a crap chill, yes. about anorexia. <laughs> They're trying to make well, money. But They're the producers do. I mean, the the... the I produce, did she produce? I know the writer, and she probably directed it. She, this is her her story. Marty Knoxon, she's yeah. the director. She didn't produce it. Okay, but but, uh, but yeah, I mean, certainly there's some altruism. But again, my point. I, I really want to be part of the issue that all this is on the internet that, of the talk that sort of bugs me is like 
it's a movie. You yes. know? It's not a documentary. It's yes. not the DSM. It's not a right. course in eating disorders. Absolutely. It's just a movie. Yeah. And it doesn't need to encompass the entire thing. And that's what a lot of criticism it's like. Right. It and I don't it, think it, you, you know? can encompass the, and this was the no. big reaction that I had, you know, on one side of it is because I read a lot of the stuff online that's been, you know, going around and articles and people really freaking out about this movie for lack of a, a better term. Yeah, a, lot um, of people. a lot of people freaking out. There's no way, there's no way if to encompass someone's journey in an hour and 40 minutes, there's right. no, you, you can't. Right. So, so the, the, and if you did, it would be so unwatchable Yeah. and not, it would be really hard to make it quote unquote entertaining. Right. Right. It would move out of that realm. It would be a documentary. It would move right. into, you know, more educational right. perspectives and things like that. So yes, this is yeah. definitely in the entertainment. It's yeah. a movie. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough topic uh, to make into a fun teen. It's essentially a teen or a young adult movie. Mm -hmm. And it has romance in it. It has comedy in it. It has drama. It has coming of age elements. And it. this is, as I was watching it, I was like, man, they're actually kind of pulling this off. I mean, to make a movie about this topic and and to and to make it interesting is a very difficult thing to do and i, I feel like they pulled it off uh out of 10 stars i'd probably give it a five I, I think that it's definitely watchable my my five out of ten means watchable yeah not the most amazing piece of art it's of not all star time. wars yeah <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, it's more Phantom Menace kind of level, but, um, it, and it, I might even bump it up to a six, but particularly because of the Alex Sharp, uh, actor, the guy who played Luke. Yeah. It was so, he, he, he was written so well and he acted so well. He was so charming. He was and, one of the best things in it. And yeah. so real and yeah. so, um, just i don't know genuine was the word that came to mind when mm -hmm. i was watching him I well was he like, made you feel yeah something you know things he made you, yeah. he made me feel like you know connected and he was very good and that's what a good actor does right is they make you feel yeah so yeah he he his face his charm his his genuineness like as i was watching it i kept reminding myself oh this is an actor he's at, like i i thought i was watching like a genuine depiction of a of an act because i've never seen him in anything before and so uh so he without him i think the show just would have been a, a really big dud he was key indeed yeah, yeah um i thought it was a little odd that a lot of the sort of saviors were men <laughs> you know this like, is a yes <laughs> you have luke you have luke being the savior and you have keanu being the savior yeah uh, the the female therapist is not really portrayed as being particularly effective. She's and, not even portrayed as being. You're talking about the the one that's leading the groups. The group therapist. Yeah. yeah, she's not even portrayed as a therapist at all. Yeah, they don't even call her a therapist. They don't even call her anything. Yeah, she just is kind of facilitating these groups that 100 percent happen in residential treatment. I I ran hundreds of those groups, you yeah. know, but it's they don't. And this is another thing that we'll probably get to as we go on, but they don't, you know, there's, there's multiple providers that are involved in every person's treatment right. and they've sort of combined all into. <laughs> oh, interesting. Tell me more about that. Okay. So 
in residential treatment, um, when you essentially arrive, they have this arrival moment in the movie where they, she arrives at the door and there's just, and I, I get that they don't have time for any of this stuff, but that arrival day, it takes all day. Uh, there's typically a, you know, they get there in the morning and they're, the amount of paperwork and consents and just sheer legal stuff that like we're we will be in charge of your child <laughs> kind right. of you know she will be living here under our care he or she um and you're agreeing to this yeah here are the rules and indeed here are the regulations yes. yep. and here's what we would do if yeah. this happens and this is what you're as the client this is what you're agreeing to do you understand yeah confidentiality let all me introduce you to the staff yes this is their tours role. yes this is the kitchen all of these things like so the way they did it in the movie is, oh she just drops her off and she, i'm like no yeah. <laughs> she just kind of walks in yeah and the um the woman that was from uh parks and rec i don't know her the, the actress's name she's hilarious in parks and rec she, yeah. she's the uh treat yourself oh uh, right uh woman but anyway she's there and she's like a non-therapist staff right. worker right and she just sort of nonchalantly brings her in yeah. and takes her phone and yeah you know just kind of looks through her bag you know right some things like, well, do they do that in group homes? Do they take your phone and that kind of stuff? Absolutely. We take everything. Okay. Um, there's Why no, do you take everything? Because there's so, so much, there's so much that can happen when you're, when you're really connected to the outside world. Just for, you know, it sounds, sounds kind of crazy, but uh, it's, you're really there to be in treatment and isolating the the disorder is really the first part of that you know not they so get if they have their cell phones they'll be in contact with, with their, their friends, friends and and, and the really and it's really the internet is what it is you know connected to calorie apps you know tracker things exercise things all of the um thinspiration boards that sort of feed the how pervasive these you know thoughts and, and desires are and so it, it, you really have to cut all of that out because it'll make it hard to recover. Yes, uh, uh, yeah. They portrayed Ellen as being a famous Tumblr thinspiration artist. Yes, who inspired someone to take their own life. Yeah, that was interesting. They like she posted her art on Tumblr. Um, and as a result of that art, someone, a fan, they portrayed this person as like a fan of hers, uh, took her drawings and um, committed suicide. And the parents of that that adolescent uh, female got so angry that they found that that, and she wrote the suicide note to Ellen. So, I mean, really like traumatic kind of process and... Um, but really of the time. Yeah. Yes. I That part I saw and I was like, that's totally, that could happen. Yeah. Totally accurate. I had no problem with that at all. I could totally see that yeah. happening and really affecting someone. Um, yeah. And the parent, they, the one thing that was weird is she said that the, the parents of the, of the, uh, adolescent, yeah, the, the, uh, adolescent that passed away, she's the parents sent Ellen pictures. That was like, whoa! I, to to whoa. shame her and yes. say, look what you did. And, yeah, and that, that was that. I gosh, that was yeah. That would be rough. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, tough topic to make a fun teen movie, and because there are moments where this is a a genuine fun teen movie at times. Yeah. Um, 
Also, I'm I'm glad as I was watching it, I I thought I'm so used to Netflix being a series. I just did a whole episode on Gypsy. Have you seen Gypsy the no. TV show? I wish they would have reduced that. It's a ten episode thing. And okay. I, I wish, or have you seen Thirteen Reasons Why? No, it's still on my. So, well, part of the reason why it's still on your list is because it's such a time commitment. Yeah. And the stories in Gypsy and Thirteen Reasons Why, in my opinion, don't have enough uh, meat to it to sustain the, that many episodes. And as I was watching this, I was like, "Oh, how many episodes is this one going to be?" And then I was like, "Oh, it's just—it's just a movie. It's just a yeah. movie." And I and I was so happy. I was like, "Wait, I only—I only have to invent—I only have to invest two hours of my life." And I really like that because it—it it felt very. It felt very satisfying to have the story arc in that amount of time, you know. Um, uh, although I should say, because I because Laura's making fun of me uh, last week, I watch movies as I'm <laughs> as I'm eating. Some people ask me how I managed to get so many things done in my life. Yeah, actually, someone just emailed me today, and they're like, "How do you find ten hours to watch a Gypsy when you're also a professor and you also have to do the podcast and you do music and?" Da, 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 you have a practice and what I part of the solution is multitasking and so I watch movies while I eat so you know it takes and I like to enjoy a meal and so I'll make something and then I'll sit down in front of the TV and I'll I'll watch a movie in 10 and 15 minute increments, increments yeah. over the span of, of a few days. I it's, think I told you that wasn't very mindful. This was my response when you told me that. <laughs> hey, if you want to get shit done in life, I then guess, mindfulness yeah. has to go. And so, again, it's a little ironic. I'm watching this movie while I'm eating. That's why. That was my point. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it, it's, you know, it's a legit way. I, I, I can fully get into movies. And so... I don't. Uh, I don't need to watch it all in one. I was, you know, legit moved by some of the stuff that happened in it. Um, they another reaction was they they got an actress who is uh, legit skinny and who could be at least uh, uh, d- uh, digitally enhanced to look skinnier. If that makes any sense, Lily Collins. Yeah. So Lily Collins had an eating disorder. She yeah, and that's part of her you know, I, I think an emotional investment into the, into the movie, into the film, she was in, is and was, um, in recovery, uh, and, and underwent supervised weight loss for the, the role, which wow. I had a hard, that I'm still kind of wrestling with that one. How do, <laughs> how do you take someone in recovery and supervise their weight loss? I mean, I'm, it's, I, I'd be so inter- I haven't obviously heard her speak about it, but I'd be interested to hear her speak about that specific piece. Yeah, you are a reco- it's a, it's like being a recovered alcoholic and and being for a role asked to drink alcohol. Absolutely. For for a number of months. Yep. It, it's 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 dangerous. It could trigger the whole thing to happen again. That's the biggest risk. Yeah. Yeah. It could uh create all sorts of other issues it, and it's a legit medical concern i i'm get, from the look of her she didn't look that skinny you know she didn't look as skinny and they they digitally enhanced her when yes. she took her clothes off right to to make her look the way that people look when they're at that stage yeah which was an accurate the the digital how they how they did i'm sure it's what cgi or something yeah. like that um that's accurate that's yeah. how you know somebody that's in residential treatment i think that was really the for people that 
don't have a background in this and don't really know to watch this movie it was sort of that shock like oh my gosh is that really how how it is and and not for everyone obviously we don't want to generalize in that way but that's you know it can get it that can way. get that way and that's yeah. why that their you know residential treatment is one step below a hospital you know yeah. you're you're just stable enough to be um one step down yeah. in terms of level of care but that doesn't you're you're still significantly medically compromised right Another thought I had as I was watching it, particularly at the beginning, but really throughout the whole movie, was that they really made the adults look like idiots. You know? Yes. It, it was, it's, it, in my experience when working with people with eating disorders, and I'd like to hear your opinion, Laura, since you worked with far more people in situations like this, is that although in some ways the adults portrayed in this movie, you, you had the biological father who was never there. Never, which he, I thought was. He was a character, really, but never had a. Never, never showed, showed up on yeah. camera, mm-hmm. which I thought was actually kind of a cool choice. Uh, and if he had shown up, it would have been tempting to somehow make it about him or something. Mm-hmm. It, like they left a lot of questions unanswered. Was the was the father abusive in some way? You know, they didn't really go into it. Right. Um, but anyway, my point is, is that you you had the biological mom and her partner, and then you had the stepmom, and although in a lot of ways they are accurate portrayals of people in this in this position i thought that the way they told the story was um not fair in a lot of ways to those people i as i was watching it i was like well yes and they care and they're trying right. and they've been through a lot and um cuz it, it almost seemed like the movie maybe to make it entertaining was it's sort of like reminding me of a girl interrupted. Have you seen that movie with, no. with Winona Ryder? Uh, that movie had a very similar kind of aspect to it. It's supposed to be about borderline. Mm-hmm. And the way they portray it is like, you got this cool kid at the center. who's just like, I don't care. I'm a rebel. You know, it's, I'm exaggerating, but yeah. it's like, it's like, everyone's just like going crazy around me. And I'm, j- I just, I just want people to leave me alone. You know, that kind of young person. Yeah, yeah. Rebellion. And like, look at all these crazy adults just acting crazy. You know, it had yeah. that adolescent flavor to it mm-hmm. where whenever one of the adults, the parents were on, were on the screen, they were just acting. They, they were ignoring her, which is common in these situations, but I don't know. It just felt a little one sided. How did you feel about it? Yeah. I think, um, where I had the biggest sort of tinge, uh, because I am a family therapist <laughs> was in that family therapy session, that family therapy moment with Keanu. Yeah. Uh, and, and just that they, they sort of let the session become unproductive Yeah, and didn't, he didn't really do anything about it, you know? And it, so you wanted to jump in and go, yeah. let's okay. Let's slow down. Yeah. And let's he, focus on, he did it, you know, interrupt, but it just, it, they sort of created a dynamic between the parents that, I'm sure exists at some level, but is not. It's not something that w- you would let run in a set. You know, you'd kind of. Was it I, at accurate? Least I would. Was it accurate? Have you seen parents like this before? I've seen. I've seen certainly seen parents get emotional and frustrated. I think is probably what they were trying to go for. If I could pin it down, you know, they were trying to go for the exhaustion that comes from parenting someone with these types of struggles. And, um, I certainly have seen that parents at their end, just kind of arms in the air. I, you know, I just don't know what to do. Everything I say is wrong. Yes. And they didn't really 
earn that. They didn't because they didn't show or even really give you the impression of the journey that these parents have right. been on. That that's the part that I wish they right. would have at least sort of commented on. Right. Which is, I know in stories like this, these parents, the stepmom included, have and and the dad included have been through the ringer yes. over the past you know however however many years probably since she was 13 or 14 likely the the amount of time they've sat up with her the amount of time they've tried to talk with her the amount of time that they've laid lied you know laid awake at night trying to think about what to do and and the amount of books they've read and the consultants yeah. they've talked to and therapists they yeah. and family fe- sessions they've been a part of she's been an inpatient four, four times, times. Yeah, and, and so how many of these iterations have they been through? But in the story, we kind of jump in at this at this later stage, and it makes the adults look like a bunch of idiots. And just yeah, kind of squabbling about their own issues and things like that, which can happen. It can, but but the it it, it look you know to me, I was like, if I was a parent of someone in this situation, I would feel like this movie was alienating me yeah. and, and making it out because it was pretty clear they're saying this is why she has an eating disorder look at how her family ignores her right look at how they don't pay attention to her they're they're really either anxious or narcissistic or on their own journey and they're not, they're not paying attention to her which can absolutely result in this sure but just seemed a little one-sided to me. Yeah, and, and just a really kind of... The, the trouble when you when you make a film like this and you sort of make those blanket generalizations is you paint this picture like that's how it always is. Right. And these are the causes and these are the roots. And what I was thinking as I'm watching this is, well, you know, as a, as a systems-oriented therapist, like, sure, there's likely going to be systemic issues that feed this pattern and, and perpetuate this struggle and behavior, but it's not the only... It's not like this is a very, you know, one-sided slice of how this looks. And you're kind of painting this picture that all parents are like this and that this is... And it plays into a common narrative by our society in which we blame parents. Indeed. And particularly mothers, incidentally. And and so, yeah, I didn't... I thought that that was... Uh, a little heavy-handed, and and I, I, the only way that you could have, I think, it, it accounted for that would be to, I don't know, have a flashback or just some kind of comment, something, yeah, that shows the struggle, yeah. and then he, re- Keanu's character, the doctor, reinforces that later when he's like, when he's, she's sitting in the office, and that's that's what I probably reacted to the most. He was, he was said, you know, that's it was so unhelpful. We're never doing that again. Don't don't worry. We're never going to do family therapy again. And I kind of went. What? <laughs> you know, like, what do you mean? Family therapy is central to this yeah. process. You can't take that piece out. Interesting. So. Um, well, I want to talk about Keanu a little bit more, but before we do that, let's take a break. Okay, we're back from the break. If you haven't already become a patron of the podcast, do so. Go to patreon.com, become a patron of the podcast. That's the best way you can show that you uh, enjoy this podcast. Many of you have become patrons, which is super cool. We're pretty close to reaching our next Patreon goal in which we can start donating to PetFinder.com. Laura, do you have pets? I have a cat. Did you get your cat through PetFinder.com? I didn't. I did uh, rescue her from... She was rehomed to me, so she was a rescue. Like a, through a friend or something? Yeah, so she, she's she got an interesting history, my sweet little kitty. Um, she, The girl I got her from 
found her on the street in Southern California and oh. and took her in um, and then moved around a lot and um, was living here in Seattle and she had gotten a dog and was living in a studio apartment with a cat and a dog and my the little her name's Ivy my cat's name's Ivy Ivy was being terrorized by this uh. dog um, and so she through a friend of a friend and this is the you know, wonderfulness of Facebook. Sometimes <laughs> you see a post that somebody liked or whatever, and I wanted a cat. And so I pursued it and she ended up with me. Yeah. Took her about two years to adjust to, you know, really kind of nuzzling and accepting that, you know, I was her caretaker and oh. it's just, yeah. So it's, yeah, I rescued her. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Right. So if that hadn't worked, then Pet Finder could have helped. I, I actually, yeah, I was looking on Pet Finder yeah. and, you know, looking at kittens. My apartment at the time didn't take dogs, so I was yeah. looking for a cat. And yeah. And, yeah, definitely. So, you know, in addition to Facebook, Pet Finder is an organization that helps to match uh, pets with loving homes who want them. My two cats are through Pet Finder. And so we're very close. So if you're thinking about becoming a patron, do so now. All right. Keanu, I thought it was a weird choice. When his face showed up, I was like, oh, yeah. that's funny. <laughs> uh, I, I, and I, I got used to it because he has such a zen vibe to him. Yeah. And he, I think, wore it pretty well. But it was distracting because he's such a huge star yeah. in a movie with no stars. Well, I absolutely 100% think it was emotional for him taking the role. There's got he's got to have some kind of yeah. someone in his life has struggled or maybe he struggled when he was younger. You know who Cuz he couldn't who, have been paid that much. Who knows? Yeah, right. I, this was a passion project for him. Yeah. I get I would almost bet money on that. He might have even suffered from eating disorders himself. Yeah. Uh, actors sometimes are forced into those kinds and he's always been fairly thin and i think some of the roles he's taken he's had to be very very thin yeah but anyway um uh, da, 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 people might wonder why people do this to themselves is what i wrote in my notes mm -hmm. I, I felt like the the show didn't really i i felt like as i was watching it i was like if if people who don't understand eating disorders watch this i'm guessing they're gonna be like why do they do that you have these these young adults living in this home, each with a kind of a different take on an eating disorder. Yeah. Why do they do that to themselves? Like, what's wrong with them? <laughs> Why are they making that choice? Right. Uh. Is is the is the thought? Why would you choose to see the world that way? Why would you choose to do that to yourself? You could ask the same question about people that, you know, it, it sort of bleeds into a lot of maladaptive coping mechanisms, people that have addictions and stuff and family members just like, you know, I've heard lots of family members of people with addiction saying they just don't understand why can't they just stop? Why can't? But at I, least with addictions, and I'm just being the devil's advocate here. Of course. With addictions, there's pleasure involved, right? At least in the initial phases where you drink alcohol and, and, you know, I love you, man. Or you get numb or cocaine. You feel like you're on top of the world. Heroin just takes away all your problems. It, but with eating disorders, it's like, well, but food is, uh, is enjoyable. Like, I can't wait until I have a hamburger and fries. <laughs> what, you know, why, do, what motivates this sort of behavior? You I'm know? so glad you brought that up because it is a pleasure thing, but it's, it's backwards for people that struggle. It's a similar, uh, I would imagine, sort of 
chemical reaction that happens in the brain is, you know, you, you, when you engage with your addiction, um, not that I want to compare eating disorders to addiction too much, but I've had a lot of clients tell me that they feel good when they restrict or when they purge almost to the point of feeling high, feeling euphoric, feeling like they've accomplished something, like they feel better when they restrict their intake. Right. Yeah. And I think it's very analogous to addiction, uh, or shall we say, um, pleasure reinforced self-destructive habitual behavior, Yeah, uh, which isn't necessarily what addiction means to everyone. And I think that's the easiest explanation. It's more complicated than that, but certainly when I have worked, uh, and incidentally, I think I've talked about this before on the podcast. For a time, I specialized, I would say 10% of my practice was with people with eating disorders. And over time, I, uh, upon working with people with eating disorders, I decided I didn't want to work with them anymore. Not because I didn't like them, but because I realized that in order to provide a, a good enough service for them, I had to be involved on such a level that I wasn't really prepared to do. I, you know, with my regular clients, I meet with them once a week and I work hard during that hour and then I'm done and I walk away. And, uh, during this time, that's all I was doing. I wasn't even teaching. I wasn't even doing the podcast. I was just being a private practice person. And so I had, you know, 30 clients, 25 clients a week or something. And I would work really hard. And, but what I found was that wasn't enough for these people. They, they needed family sessions. They needed daily contact with somebody they and if that wasn't me it was someone else that Another i would have provider. to that i'd have to coordinate with yes i'd have to talk to the doctor the dietitian i'd have to get like weekly weigh-in uh, information the the parents would be freaking out and calling me every now and then for legitimate reasons right and i found that it was so much work and then when it came down to it with a lot of the clients i worked with they didn't want to change. The, the people with the eating disorder were extremely ambivalent about whether or not they wanted to, to, to uh, recover. Yes. And so in the same way that I wouldn't work you know, super hard for a heroin addict that was using every day and just being like, I don't, I don't know. I, I kind of like heroin. <laughs> yeah. I see, I see where you're coming from, Kirk, but yeah. you know, and I, in the same way that I'd be like, well, Maybe this isn't the best place if that's what we're focusing on. Right. Um, and a lot of the people with eating disorders that I worked with, I would try to get to the trauma because that was often what needed to happen was to recover from some sort of trauma or some past difficulty that has left to be uh, processed. And they didn't want to do that either because they were so in the in a daily minute by minute struggle with their eating disorder and minute by minute. Uh, trying to trick people, trying to get away with things, yes. trying to mask things. And I'm fine with that. Like people have the freedom. I never took it personally, but it was more along the lines of this is, I don't feel effective. I don't feel like this is my life's career path. Yeah. Uh, and I even had a brief moment where I was like, well, should this be my thing now? Should I, should I become that person and maybe charge more and, charge for these out of session services and 
become a very cl- – I even considered working for the Emily Project. Emily Program. Emily Program, which uh, I was around when they were getting going. And mm-hmm. I thought about, well, maybe I could partner with them because they were actually just down the road from where I was in South Lake Union. And, um, and then I just said, no, <laughs> like it's like someone, there's other people with more energy and more expertise and, and just uh, to be able to do this. Like I, I'm not, and then I, so I stopped actually seeing people with eating disorders. Um, what do you think about all that, Laura? <laughs> uh, I, it's a, it's a common narrative that I, I hear from a lot of providers that, that the extra work that goes into the treatment, the outpatient pr- treatment of an eating disorder in particular, is more than they are willing to or want to commit to, yeah. um, and that's okay. Uh, but it's it's important to do that connective collateral work. There's, Otherwise, if you just see them a session a week, it's not going to. You're going to miss a lot, uh, and this sort of speaks back to the film a little bit when we were talking about how they put everything sort of into this Keanu character i'm forgetting his name in the film right <laughs> dr um, um, i forget yeah bex i think she calls him bex becker i don't know oh, beckham. Beck- beckham beckham i think it's beckham actually yeah. just like in residential treatment you have you have a uh, an internist a, a physician that that monitors and runs labs and does all of the medical stability piece you have a psychiatrist uh that's managing the medication you have a dietitian on staff um and you have the primary therapist that does all of the um, individual and uh family sessions and then you have all the workers yeah you have and this was the other thing about the movie is there's one person there at the house and uh how many people should have been there so there were six or seven they said normally there are six but they had yeah so it was a six bed so in the in the film it was a six bed residential facility which is where i was working when i was um initially starting out yours is in linwood uh edmonds yeah right up the street here and uh there's well not up the street over there a little bit <laughs> up on the north end of Seattle relative to yeah where you're living. exactly um yeah and uh we had a, a a huge staff I mean there had to be two people sitting at the table eating with them that was the other thing is there's we didn't let them eat by themselves um they couldn't eat whatever they wanted uh there was you know finishing 100% of their meal was the expectation and if they didn't then there was a supplementation process that happened what would happen um, you essentially give them the opportunity to uh, consume the nutrition in a different way. So there was like a an insure supplement. You'd sort of do a calculation for how many calories they didn't finish in the meal or so whatever. So let's walk us through this because I, I remember talking about this uh, with you in the past. From my, I, In my head, I, I remember I have a vision that you painted for me in which you gave – kids like a piece of cheese and some lettuce and maybe like some bologna or something <laughs> and that was all that was on a plate oh my gosh i did not paint a good picture at all <laughs> probably well not because that's what was available but that was the only thing they would eat or something there was there was well so tell me how, how that yeah. whole thing works out so and this that's sh- that's got to be where the rubber meets the road yeah right? like getting someone who is uh, uh has a life mission not to eat and mm-hmm. or is phobic, which mm-hmm. is another thing we should get into in terms of the different presentations of eating disorders that were in the in the in the movie. Yeah, uh, trying to get get that person to eat food is uh, has got to be like a huge test. So tell us what that was like. Difficult. Um, initially, when they would come into treatment, if um, anorexia nervosa was the diagnosis, and there was significant restriction happening 
at home or outside of treatment, um, it would be a sort of a slower ramp in, ter- in terms of um, food intake. Like it would start really small because you have to be careful about refeeding syndrome and all of the... What's that? Uh, refeeding syndrome is essentially it has to do with... I, I think potassium. I mean, this would be a dietitian question, but I think it's it's lo- it's a uh, levels of um, insulin and whatnot. Yeah, just I think potassium is the main one that you have to be concerned about when you have so much restriction happening, um, malnutrition really, and then you introduce food. You the all of the the levels in your body in terms of minerals and all kinds of stuff um, can get imbalanced really quickly, and it, you you can die from it. I mean, it's really. Yeah. You have to be very careful. Um, a lot of labs get run. I mean, sometimes we run them twice a week instead of once uh, just to make sure that everything's stable. And, you know, there's not we're not running the risk of um, some sort so of. So they didn't do any of that in the. in the. In no, the, they did none of that. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's a. But that would be, again, a boring aspect. This is my point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you were to cover all of these intricacies it would be a documentary it wouldn't be a a a movie um so what would you start them off with like like three grapes or something (laughs) (laughs) um no and this is a the dietitian would create a meal plan based on so there's a whole that's why this first day takes so long this intake day because you do an intake with the with the parents or with the family if it's an adolescent or if it's an adult because there are adult facilities for this which this residential home actually was an adult facility in the movie i worked in a an adolescent home but they were barely yeah yeah although actually one of the actors one of the actresses uh the the only other people i actually recognized she um, was pregnant. She, yeah, the pregnant mm-hmm. woman. She's forty-two. Yeah, Leslie Bibb, uh, but she looks young. Yeah, I remember her from Talladega Nights, actually, um, which I love the movie. Do you remember <laughs> Ricky Bobby? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so the dietitian sits down with the the client. Yeah, and they do it. They do a twenty-four hour recall, and then often like a last seven-day recall of, of anything they've eaten in the last. Seven days, okay, twenty-four and then they hours. Set out what this future should look like. They're trying to have good, balanced nutrition. Mm-hmm. It's not all pixie sticks or something, right? But and they also want to ramp it up, right? And I'm guessing they're also working with the client in terms of what food they can least amount of um, have a problem with. If that makes any sense? Yeah, or, there's not a whole lot. I mean, the expectation generally is that they eat what's put in front of them. Really? I mean, they can have there's and different programs do this a little differently. Some programs say you can have you can pick three foods that you absolutely don't want to eat, um, that which are your fear foods, and we won't ever make you quote unquote make you eat those. What if they're like flour, eggs, <laughs> entire food groups, <laughs> and dairy? Uh, you know. Uh, Sometimes clients do say that, you know, I, I refuse to eat sugar and yeah. that's something, you know, if a client came in and said that to me, I'd say, well, it's something we need to work on because cookies are kind of delicious sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's a joyful thing to be able to eat those. And um, so it, it, it's, it's almost like an alcoholic being like, well, I just drink beer. Right. You, right. You, you, you got to eventually get over Right. Those barriers. So mm-hmm. you might as well just get over them now. Mm-hmm. You know, you stop it with mm-hmm. the sugar thing. Like mm-hmm. sugar's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know? So it's a, it's a, it's a, depending on, again, t- depending on how much they've been restricting, it's kind of a slow ramp and it's really based on calorie intake. So if they've been eating nothing for seven days, you don't want to put them on a meal plan that's, you know, 3000 calories or, you know, or something like that. So they'd start, you know, small snacks or small meals or small. Um, and there's, uh, the ex- we actually 
use the, um, I don't know if you know much about this, but the diabetic exchange system. So everything's kind of converted into exchanges. So a starch is an exchange, which is like, and this is the dietitian kind of uh, evaluates the foods and puts exchanges to them. It's just so that you don't talk about calories and meal planning and things like that. And it's just a different sort of way to calculate for intake. Okay. Yeah. So they lay that. So, so in your program, they actually lay out the diet plan and the kids in your program just had to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And then come mealtime, you'd have two workers at the table, sitting at the table Mm -hmm. and serving them and eating with them and eating with them. Yep. And how many were there other workers in the building at the time? Absolutely. So, so be the therapist and the yeah, supervisor. Every, everyone the, was there. I mean, our program director was generally there sort of, I mean, just normal business hours, but, um, so probably as many staff as there are, as there are residents, at least the yeah. only time where there was less staff than there was residents was, uh, overnight yeah. and our overnights don't sleep there. Yeah. It's an awake overnight shift. Right. So there's never, somebody not awake and and alert to what's going on in the facility. Yeah, I have a little bit of experience with this prior to becoming a therapist while I was getting my uh, feet wet in the industry. I I worked in a group home for, uh, um, I don't know what they would call them today, but I think they called them behaviorally disabled teenagers at the time. It was all girls, actually. Okay. And four beds. It was a split level in Everett. Hmm. And I worked various different shifts and same sort of deal, eat with the kids. It wasn't for eating disorders, but some of them probably did have eating disorders, honestly. Um, and uh, would have to be there overnight. And s- sometimes they'd get up in the middle of the night and try to sneak around and yeah. do stuff. And we'd have to intervene. And yeah. some kids would want to run away and we'd have to deal with that and mm-hmm. you know stuff like that. But anyway, okay. So... Um, so okay, uh, so that was different, and and, was, and then when a kid is like, "I'm not eating this," or or doesn't seem to be eating it, then you try to step in and try to say, "Hey, you know, remember this is what you're yeah." Going to do. In a ther- you know, and that's where the therapeutic piece comes in is that you're trying to talk to them about what nourishment means to their body and what's what they are struggling with, and um, so you try to paint the food in a good light yeah. that's healthy, yeah, instead of the phobic. Uh, avoidant sort of uh, and having all the negative connotations right. that, like this means I'm going to be fat and right. no one's going to like me and that right. kind of stuff. Okay. And then if they totally refuse and you're like, well, how about you drink and ensure mm-hmm. because that'll have 500 calories or something. You don't say that, but that's what you're thinking. Yeah. And it's just sort of a, sometimes clients need that bridge, you know, that it's that the food on the plate in front of them for dinner, like this, the, the, piece of chicken and the rice and the salad and the you know vegetables or whatever the whatever fruit whatever is on the plate is just too much it's just too intimidating and um overwhelming for them um to to get to that point where they're eating the those solid foods um so some clients need need the bridge a little bit and to have you know some because insure is like a liquid sort of it's, it's easier. I've had a lot of clients say, well, this is just easier for me right now. And at that point, we're really, because they're so, this is, I wanted to talk about this. We're getting into the, um, sort of the cognitive, what happens cognitively to them. They, they get so depleted that they can't think, literally can't think straight. Their neurons aren't firing and they're not 
I've sat with clients sometimes for weeks while they, um, re- come out of the re- fog. yeah, come out of the fog and re-nourish themselves. And there's this very distinct tipping point where this is a different person than was sitting in front of me a couple of days ago. And, and just because they've reached that point of nourishment where they, they can think again. So the, the insurer, whatever kind of supplement is used is really an effort to keep that process going so that we can get them cognitively to the point where, we can have productive sessions and, and, you know, the therapy can actually happen. Is it hard to work with them at the, when you were at the home? Yeah. You know, and I'm not going to run away from that. It is hard. It's, it's very difficult. There's, there's a lot of, it, it just feels like very, I remember when I was first doing this work and I, I felt very responsible, you know, the, particularly from the parents, not that parents ever really put that on me, but that I was putting that on myself um, just by their anxiety. You know, parents would be so anxious because their their teenager, I was working with adolescents, their teenager is, is dying bef- right before them and really had this look in their eyes of, please save my child. And that's the heaviness of that is really significant, you know, and it's uh, it's hard because the, they are ambivalent a lot of times. They, they don't want to get better. Um, so it's just a really, was the vibe similar in that they, they weren't, uh, there was some minor conflicts, but it felt very low key, which was not the vision that you had painted in my head about some of the well, experiences working in these homes. It can be and it, 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 I've sort of, this is, and then this is like a group psychology piece to it. It really depends. Every cohort, if you will, has yeah. a different personality. So sometimes you'd get a group of kids that were really, or adults that were really recovery minded. And that would sort of, if there was one that wasn't so recovery minded, it would sort of wrap them in and, you know, they, they start to gel together and they'd all get really recovery minded. If you had a really tough group, they, they would all be kind of tough, you know, and, and wanting to restrict and wanting to, you know, use their maladaptive behaviors and all of those things. And so was the vibe while they're at the table and in group therapy, is that what it feels like? Did it have a, a similar vibe to that? Um, yes and no. I know these are not great answers to your questions, but I it, mean, could it be accurate? I it, guess it, it could be. Yeah. Okay. Cause, um, I, Cause in my head I was like, they seem, uh, particularly like they're getting along better than I thought people did in this situation because mm-hmm. you know? people with eating disorders, not always, but a lot of times other personality elements come into play Yes, and traumas and yeah. they're generally upset or easily upset. And, and in my head, I thought, I thought there was more volatility, you know, between the members. Yeah. And there can be, um, and there cannot be, I mean, okay. it's, it, it, that representation. So when that, we're assuming the therapist is running the group there when the therapist is there and she's talking to them. Um, I, I didn't have any, pro- I was like, yeah, that's, I've sat in groups like that before where one person's pretty vocal. Um, you have a couple that might not say anything, the whole group. Um, I mean, I guess they're all there voluntarily, so to speak mm-hmm. in that at any time they can walk out the door. Yes. They're not locked. Uh, it's not a, they have lockdown. They, they do, but you are in a lockdown. I wasn't. Well, the first place that I worked wasn't, Neither of them actually were locked facilities. It's not, I mean, they could. And they only have locked facilities for people who are so dangerous to themselves that they require that kind of service. Mm -hmm. And essentially the MHPs mandate it 
because if they they feel the, the mental health professionals, the state, the government believes that if they don't force people to do that, that they'll be dead within the week or something. Right. right? And, but most people with eating disorders don't fit in that category. They're um, ambivalent, but there's a part of them that at least is on board with treatment. Yeah. And they can get pretty chaotic and reactive. I've had, you know, I've certainly seen lots of yelling and screaming and throwing things and, running away and um, running to different parts of the facility and just the the level of reactiveness can be very, very high. Um, but generally in a group, you know, group setting, a group therapy setting, they're, you know, they're, they know they have to be there, so they're going to sit there, <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't have to talk and um, sometimes they get, there's some contentiousness between them, but yeah. So I want to ask you a question, but we need to take a break. But after the break, I'm, I want to ask you, do you guys let people have romantic relationships? So let's mm -hmm. take a break. All right, we're back from the break. So Laura, there's a romantic relationship depicted in this movie that I, I thought was very charmingly done. <laughs> like when, when Luke is trying to, uh, at the beginning, when he's trying to uh, get past Ellen's shell, yeah, he... Uh, it seems to be kind of working. And then at a certain point he pushes it too far mm -hmm. and she's like, okay, that was creepy. And she leaves the room or something. Yeah. And they, we get this shot of him and he just, he just sort of laughs. And so he just like epic, <laughs> you know, like epic fail. Yeah. And um, so I thought that the whole, and then when they go to the restaurant, it's, yeah. that's totally cute. Yeah. And like, just really, I don't know, felt genuine to me. Um, do you guys let people have romantic relationships? I mean, this is a different population because these are uh, not minors and you treated mainly minors. Right. Uh, but didn't you have some 19-year-olds that would come sometimes? Um, once we opened the adult facility there, I mean, no. Okay. Uh, there, well, I think before the adult facility opened, we had one girl that turned 19 while she was with us. So, so there was like some a... 18 years. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah. So do you let people have romantic relationships? While no. Yeah. No. And that, that, that would have been my suspicion. I yeah. would have been like, that seems like a recipe for disaster. And really, it's just distracting. You know, yeah. I, I often see that as like, you're not, you're, you're trying to avoid this painful process, you yeah. know, of, of There'll be time enough for romance. Yeah. Once like you this recover. is, you know, and you're only here for the reality is they're only in treatment for six to eight, eight weeks if we're lucky. Yeah. So it's not a huge amount of time out of their lives to not not engage in that you know yeah, you yeah. gotta this is your fear to focus on you and in all likelihood a manifestation of their issue if Absolutely. they're yeah. distracting themselves mm -hmm. through chaos and that kind of stuff right. although you know romance whatever um <laughs> will the move will do you think this movie will trigger people in a bad way and you know cause people to who uh, have recovered or are struggling with recovery to fall deeper into their eating disorder? You know, I, that's sort of one of the big issues that's the, running through the, the interwebs. article. Yeah. In, the interwebs, uh, articles that I'm reading. And I, I don't think so. Um, and here's why, because there's, well, first of all, they, there's a disclaimer at the beginning saying, if you, you know, you shouldn't watch this if you feel you're vulnerable to those types of things, which I think was very responsible on their part. But the the amount, the sheer volume of triggering 
stuff on the internet uh, far exceeds anything that you would see in this film. Mm. And anybody that is, you know, connect, struggling with this or, or, or looking for these things can find it in abundance in other places. Mm. So it's, I think it's more because because the argument is like this is you know this shouldn't have been put out there because it is going to do these things, and I don't think we should withhold this topic you know withhold these conversations just because we're afraid that it might you know yeah I I, I just there's there's so much the access to other things is so right. vast yeah I hadn't thought about that angle it's similar to thirteen reasons why I, I think that because there's been legitimate people who seem to have copycatted the. The, sh- the 13 mm. Reasons Why is about a suicide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people have followed suit by uh, killing themselves as a result of this, uh, as a result of the TV show, presumably, or mm-hmm. according to reports. And to me, it's a complicated issue. On, on one hand, uh, in general, I think that it's a good thing when we portray things like this, particularly in this way, it, you know, to to the bone is I can't th- I mean can you think of a better movie that portrays eating disorders? No. Yeah. So you know, it's not perfect, right. but what could be possibly perfect and still be like entertaining and and take place within an hour and a half and have drama and right. you know there's just no way but considering the fact that in my mind I don't think anything even comes close to this. I mean, yeah, like, that isn't a documentary. You know, like there isn't but, a whole... But movies, you know, yeah. like a TV show. Like, right. it, it's such a big deal in our society. There's millions of people who suffer from it. And the fact that we have almost no portrayals of it. Right. And, and so on one level, I'm just like, it's a, a wonderful thing that these people uh, decided to do this. Right. They, they could have done something else. They could have done a teen movie about sex and drugs and right. and rock and roll and made probably way more money more money <laughs> yeah. and, and had more fun incidentally yeah and they decided to do this because they presumably wanted to make a difference and and, and presumably wanted to make like the very first movie that really tackles this in mm-hmm. a responsible way i'm sure there are other movies that do it I'm, yeah I, I, not, i'm probably not, not thinking of yeah. them you know in this in not this recently moment. let's just put it that and way. i was just going to say something that's so relevant in ter- in the t- the days of tumblr and all these things yeah. like this is so now so, yeah, so, so relevant yeah, to what's I, going on now right there can't be another ind- uh, depiction that has all that right. all those elements um having said that yeah uh the thir- any depiction of suicide it, if someone's on the fence there's going to be a percentage of people that will be inspired by yeah. it to actually take their life and in a similar way anyone who is struggling with eating disorders or is in a weak place or is um struggling with their recovery if they watch this movie there's a percentage of them that they're going to get worse because of this movie sure so that needs to be out there because yeah. that's known it's a statistical reality it's people will talk about this but that doesn't mean we get rid of something right it means that we we couch it or we tell people look if you have issues with this you should be responsible that whenever i hear stuff like this you're like well you know 13 reasons why how dare like when 13 reasons why came out the dominant internet message was how dare they have a movie that that glorifies suicide, right? Which 
is debatable that it glorifies. Right. And people said this about this movie too, that it glorifies anorexia. And I said, I don't, this doesn't, yeah, look she's glamorous at all. Yeah, she's not like running around Hollywood. Right. Blah, blah, blah. She looks pretty miserable. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. And with 13 reasons why, same thing. Uh, she was miserable. And yeah. the suicide scene is so graphically ho- horrible, but mm. accurate that like I, I, in 13 reasons why I wish I hadn't have even seen that, that scene. And I, wow. and I've seen, and I'm, I'm cool with gore, but yeah. like, this was like, <sighs> so anyway, um, so there's that. <clears throat> the other thing is, is as you're saying, the amount of messages in our society that are triggering, uh, if we, if we have a, if we have a policy of getting rid of triggers, yeah. then every single magazine yes. <laughs> on every single uh, rack should yeah. be stricken from the rack. Yeah. Every single TV show that has a majority of its characters uh, underweight or mm-hmm. extremely thin should be taken off the air. Mm-hmm. Every, messi- every uh, clothing store should be removed from the mall. Um, you know, so... You know, just I, I feel like when the problem with our society is because of the stigma and because of the fear, particularly around young girls, incidentally, mm-hmm. when you call attention to something and you actually stand up and say, hey, everyone, look at this suicide. Young women are killing themselves. Hey, everyone, uh, look at this. Young women are suffering from eating disorders. There's this sexism that, kick, that kicks in and it's just like, how dare you stand up? woman Mm -hmm. like even other women will be like sit back down go back to your place and shut up you know and it's just like no you know this is a thing and if if you're truly upset about triggers then you know target the stuff that actually harms people like your own fucking behavior people like what like think about what you do to the people around you yeah uh and this movie is 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 at least an attempt to say like hey let's look at this for a second right Having said that, can it trigger people? Yes. Yes. And, and, but that, but I but doesn't that means, mean we. I don't think that means we should run from it. Right. This is this is a diagnosis. These eating disorder diagnoses are the the high have the highest morbidity rate of any diagnosis in the DSM. Right, because of the uh, the toll it takes on your body. Yeah. you can yeah. actually die from it. Right. Yeah. So who are we to not talk about it? Right. Who are we to to, to shut this down? And if this starts a conversation. I mean, we're, we're, you and I are here talking about this. Like there's, you know, will it trigger people? Is this, is there that element? Yes, but nothing is perfect. And I, I, I think if I can go on my society spiel here for a second, I think that that's what's wrong with society is that there's this chase for perfectionism and, and how, how can we present our highlight reel to be as perfect as we want it to be? And how can we, you know, avoid our feelings so that we can appear and, to be perfect and, and chase this perfection. And it really gets away from the, the realness of what it means to feel pain and sadness and happiness and joy. You know, what th- those are innate emotions that we run from often. Mm. And it's, you know, I, let's have these conversations. I hope parents have these, watch this movie with their, with their teenage adolescent girls and responsibly have a conversation you know um i think there is a a way to have a conversation about this and a way not to and we can talk about that if you want um but well i think some parents so so let's say 
I'm thinking of two extremes. Okay, there's there's parents that could use this as a way to kind of shame their children and and because they're afraid, make their children afraid. So like watch you know this movie with them. You and better say, eat exactly. Like you better not do this. Like I see you skipping breakfast and yada yada. You know, and just because they're so afraid of what could happen, they they just you know get hand, anxious. Yeah, they get anxious and they project that, and it's you know it's so it's that's not productive. But I think to sit down and and ask how they reacted to the film. What do they see this in their friends? Do they have thoughts of this? Which is a terrifying thing to ask your adolescent daughter. Do you ever have thoughts of not eating because you're afraid of your body? Mm-hmm. Parents aren't taught how to how to navigate those conversations. They're so afraid of what their teenagers will say back to them. Yeah. Boys and girls, you know? And adults are, in America, have their own issues about right. this. It's it, I don't know any American who doesn't have a, an issue with weight or yeah. eating or perfectionism it's uh it's the national commonality yeah it crosses all cultures right (laughs) it knows no bounds Mm -hmm. and so asking a parent to be mature and healthy about a conversation around this is a tall order it is a tall order yeah but you're saying don't be anxious don't get don't freak out just, just, just be, have compassion be curious. and curious. Be and, compassion, yeah. compassionate and curious. And try to have the message of like, uh, I'm here to talk. Let's talk yeah. about it. It's, it's an ongoing thing and I'm not going to freak out if right. you bring it up. And and uh, just opening that door mm-hmm. rather than saying like, well, let's watch this movie so I can shame you into not ever being like this. And then I can wipe my hands and right. everything will be fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, amen to what you're saying about emotions. I, I hadn't thought about it from that angle. Uh, I think that's brilliant. Um, the other thing that I thought of when I heard people saying that, oh, you know, this should never be on Netflix. It's triggering people. How dare they? Think about all the murders you see in an average, the, all, the, all the death and evil characters that do horrible things and rape, frankly, yeah. that are in movies. And... Although rape, whenever it's depicted, is often there, there'll be questions about it sometimes. Um, but but at least murders. Let's just take let's just take the simple topic of murder. Right. Uh, how many murders does the average person see when they go to the movies or the or a TV show or something? I, I some people have done analyses on this, and there's something like I can't remember the exact figure, but the average teen or average kid or something sees something like a thousand murders in a month or something. It's oh my like, gosh. It's, a thousand people die. Yeah, it, but you know, sometimes they're fairly innocuous. We would consider it to be innocuous, mm-hmm. but what's more important in life to protect people from uh, the knowledge uh, of a, uh, the portrayal of a thing that actually happens to people in a responsible way that, uh, opens the door to reflection or thousands upon thousands of people being murdered for no reason. And, and the, the message that life doesn't have any meaning and that you could die at any second. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so, uh, so anyway, that's just another thought. Now I want to talk about the symptoms that mm-hmm. are portrayed in to the bone. Uh, she obsesses about her arm flesh. She's always yeah. looking at her arms and her, her big triumph moment is when she can fit her entire 
uh, fingers, her entire hand, like can go around her and her right. bicep. I think essentially her, t- her thumb can touch her middle finger around her arm. Right. What- like a caliper kind of, uh, a measurement. She's always like, Ooh, have I achieved my goal? Mm-hmm. And, uh, is that a common symptom for people with eating disorders? Very common. It's called body checking. Okay. And there's, I mean, you can do it really all over your body. Um, you know, in terms of like checking collarbones, hip bones, their thighs. Yeah. Like pinching at your stomach. The arm one is really big. Wrists are really big as well. We actually, uh, in treatment generally don't residential treatment generally don't let, um, people have patients have, have, yeah, bracelets and watches and things like that. Cause it's a way to kind of measure, uh, cause we don't let them see their weight and those types of things. So they, they lose access to the measurement. No, like, because in the movie, they got to see their way. Yeah, yeah. At least in the places I work. So I I, I want to give that caveat. Some programs are different. Yeah. Um, the places that I worked, they're blind weights. So The idea is is that the less they know, the better. Mm-hmm. And because they, they, just the, the number has so much power c- c- over their emotions throughout the day, how they feel about themselves, how they look at themselves. It can uproot somebody's entire day or even week. There is a scene in the movie where she... Um, Talks the, about calories. Yeah, and the, and you see the the other girl completely fall apart because it was fifteen hundred calories. But in the they're standing in line for their morning weights, which is actually very accurate. They all line up <laughs> and to see the nurse and and get weighed. Um, they show them their weights, and then one of the girls sort of bursts out really upset. And and another patient in the movie says, you know, she's she's upset because she's gaining weight, but she wants to because she's pregnant. So it's kind of this back and forth, but. It, it can really disrupt an entire day. And when your day is so packed with, you know, need, being able to, you need to have access to your connection to yourself and to your feelings. And, you know, in therapy, you can completely disconnect from all that just because you saw your weight that day. So that's sort of the... How do you do it without having, do you have them stand on it backwards mm-hmm. or something? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she exercises a lot. Uh, yes. Is that accurate? Accurate. Um, down uh, her spine, there's a lot of bruises, which happens when you become so thin, your bones protrude. And so they bruise easier. There's just less protective, you know. Flesh. Yeah. You know, there are, our bodies are designed to have protective things um, all over just to. So you know. Dr. Beckham notices like, oh, or one of the physicians notices that. I think it's Dr. Beckham. It like, is oh, him, you, yeah. You have. Doing a lot of doing a lot of sit ups. Yeah, and she denies it, and he said it wasn't a question. You are, yeah. <laughs> which I think that was kind of funny because uh, it's true. Yeah, uh, hairy hairiness. It's called Lanugo. Yeah, is um, that accurate? Yeah, so it's and the way that they depicted it in the film, I think, is a little bit of an exaggeration. I mean, it was very clear that they like pasted, you know, <laughs> kind of stuff on. Well, on to her make skin. hair show up on film, that's totally yeah what it I'm is. That it's 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 hard to do. Um, yeah. it's a it's a really fine sort of hair, but down so down the back of your neck, down your spine, definitely on your arms. Um. And Dr. Keanu Reeves, the character, explains it as your body's reaction to protect itself because it's like, well, you're losing calories and you're losing flesh and therefore you're going to lose the ability to retain heat. Yes. And so your body kicks in by growing a bunch of hair like, yeah. a, like a primate, like a different primate yes, or something. that's accurate. Uh, which is interesting because I, I'd never heard that explanation. I knew about that growing hair phenomenon, mm-hmm. but... I didn't know that 
that was the that was the uh, hypothesis. Well, your body's trying to survive. It's amazing how much you can put it through before it actually gives up on you. Right. Um, but it's it's just an allocation of resources. How to it starts to do the puzzle differently because we're trying to stay alive here. Right. So yeah, and animals since the beginning of time have gone through periods of famine, mm-hmm. and we have all these processes that are ready to go. Like, you know, eating your muscles and shutting mm-hmm. down certain systems to conserve energy and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Uh, she doesn't have any menstruation. Is that accurate? It is. Uh, why does that happen? Uh, it's an allocation of resources. Again, like your your body knows. The body's just a wonderful, complex, amazing thing. Uh, and and knows that it's you, you aren't able to support life because you don't have, in order to be pregnant, you have to have a certain percentage of body fat to support mm. the development of the fetus. And so when you hit a tipping point, you, your body says, nope, you, it literally just decides for you that you can't support life in it. And so it stops menstruating. She wears baggy clothes. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. Uh, she sees herself as fat, right? Yeah, that's a really and that that's such a tough one to to help with is from the from a therapeutic perspective to really help someone understand that that their disorder is distorting, literally distorting what they think they see um, into something that's not actually accurate. Is that's a, those are tough tough conversations. Yeah, a patron, uh, Jacob, actually wrote in and asked to talk about this sort of thing. Uh, let's talk about it for a second. Uh, what What is going on for people when they have what they call uh, body dysmorphia, right? Mm-hmm. This, they, uh, they are so thin mm-hmm. or whatever, or wherever they're at, they, they, in, when they look at themselves in the mirror, they add on a hundred pounds or they, mm-hmm. they have a different meaning for it. But when they look at other people, they don't have the same measure. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So they look at someone else and they go, Oh yeah, you look fine. Like, right. You know, you don't need to starve yourself, but then they look at themselves and they're like, Oh my God, mm-hmm. I need to be starving. Is that what it's like? Yeah. So they just, there's a different standard that they hold themselves to almost like they're the exception to the rule. Right. So they can look, look out at everyone, even other people in treatment and say, Oh, they don't, they don't need to, you know, do any of this, but, but I do. And it's really rooted in, uh, it's rooted in a lot more than just that, that phenomenon that it's like, uh, you know, to say I'm the exception to the rule is really kind of glossing over a lot of what happens there. But, um, it's, again, I really kind of attribute it to a pain avoidance thing. They think that if they look a certain way, to to look a certain way is really painful. So they're trying so hard not to look that way that they convince themselves that they do. It's really, it's really convoluted. Hard to, really hard to explain, actually. Well, if I was to take a stab at it, I have it too. When I look in the mirror, uh, when I look at someone else of my identical body, I don't think I've ever really thought about it until just now. But when I look at other people with my identical body shape, I'm like, yeah, you know, doing good, fine, you know, you know, just uh, I, I probably don't even think about it. I'm probably mm-hmm. just like, you're a dude, uh, good for you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Uh, I don't, I don't think of anything. But when I look at myself, I absolutely will be like, oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm fat. Uh, that'll be like the thought that enters my head. You know, yeah. I mean, not all the time, but sure. But if I was to uh, really 
think about it, you know, I'd just be like, oh yeah, there's something, there's something wrong with me mm-hmm. is, is sort of the, the vibe. And obviously a lot of people in our society feel that way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's a combination of two things. One is, is that our society obviously beats this into our head. Yes. that There's something wrong with you if you're fat. Uh, and it's very subtle. Uh, the, the fat kid in the, and I use fat in a, in a non-judgmental way. I use it in the, in the, in the cultural slang term. Right. I'm not saying fat is a bad thing. Sometimes when I'm talking with people around this, I actually will refer to fat cells. <laughs> yeah. I'll just be like, uh, so, so you have fat cells that you want to get rid of. You know right. what I mean? Like I just try to break it down to like its most scientific right. term because it's like, cause that's what it is. And it, that's all that it is. It's just, it's, you have fat cells you want to get rid of. No big deal. Anyway, the point is, is, um, when uh, there's all these uh, messages of like the fat kid is the smart one that doesn't get the girl, mm-hmm. uh, the the fat kid is never the lead. Right. There's you know, always something wrong with that person. Right, yeah. Right. Either that's not or not desirable about that person. Right. Yeah. How many James Bonds are fat? Right. How many James Bond girls are fat? <laughs> like that's all you got <laughs> yeah. to know to, to 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 get a picture on that. And then of course for women it's like doubly problematic because you you need big boobs and you need the perfect sort of figure it's that perfection and like, thing again you need, that you need the perfect eyelashes and yeah guys can get away with so much more you know guys guys can uh there's still a ton of pressure on men but yeah but it's, if you it's, look good in a tuxedo yeah and and your eyebrows are relatively in control like you're you're, do, you're doing okay you know? yeah um so there's that issue which is uh, a massive thing that really begins from day one in our society mm-hmm um, and then the second issue is just the general psychodynamic of shame. We are from a very early age made to feel as though we're not good enough. You know, we have, we all have those traumas, like regardless of how good our parents are, there are moments where they slip up or there are moments where our just, our needs aren't being met or we're not as special as we think we, we're not being treated as special as we think we deserve. Mm-hmm. And we internalize a sense of, I'm not good enough, mm-hmm. and h- how can I be good enough? And this is a central feature in everyone's psyche. And so when we look at ourselves in the mirror, one of the, one of the b- most prevalent are you good enough measures is how you look in a bathing suit. If someone looks good in a bathing suit, it doesn't matter. Any, anything else can go away. They don't need a good job. They don't need to be smart. They don't need to be a nice person. Right. If they can walk around on, on the, like, I bet you anything, if you just went around to people and just really got them to answer, not people that are, you know, like, uh, oh, uh, enlightened as yourself, Laura. Okay. But like, you know, the general population, if you said, look, what would you trade for uh, like a banging body for the next 20 years. Right. What would you trade f- as a guy for abs and big guns? They would as give a you woman, almost anything. What would you, what would you give for like natural big boobs and a, and a tight little stomach and mm-hmm. like, you know, where you, you're basically a, a, you know, I don't know who the models are today, but you Victoria's know, Secret models. Yeah. Basically, yeah. What would you give? I, you know, people would give so much for that. Mm-hmm. You know, they would sacrifice, I'm guessing a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And so because we've all been this traumatized about uh, we're not good enough and then there's all these messages in society, when us in America look at ourselves in the mirror with in our you know bath towel in the morning mm-hmm. and we see what we see, there's 
this uh, very distinct message of I'm not good enough. Right. You know? So it, it's that interweaving. My guess is people who were not as traumatized as other people don't have as much um, propensity to look at themselves that way. They probably have a little bit of it because they live in our society, but they're probably a lot less neurotic about it, you know, a lot less pathological about it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if you grow up in another society in which there's a lot less messages, and there are societies with a lot less messages around this, then that's an, then your self-esteem issue will manifest in something else. Mm-hmm. There'll be some other problem or some other way of manifesting that. Um, so that that's that's how I see body dysmorphia. And then the the further your shame, the bigger your shame feelings are, and the more internalized messages you've had from society, the more it feels like you're a big fat slob. Yes. You know, it's like I'm looking at myself because the way they often portray it and, and they kind of did it in this in the, I don't know if they did it in this movie, but the way they often portray it is almost like a hallucination. You know, a super yeah. thin person looks at themselves in the mirror and they see literally something different than what other people see. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. They're not hallucinating. They're not hallucinating. They're not psychotic. No. It feels. Right. It, that's, it's always the point. It feels right. like they're fat. And so because that feeling of shame and matching up all those things in their head is so big in their soul that the dominant message is they're too fat and they need to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in order to be loved and accepted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the big... In order to not feel shame. Right. In order to feel good enough. Right. You know, of course, you're chasing the dragon at that point. There's no, there's, <laughs> there's no end to that line. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no magic, you know, pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. It's, right. You're just chasing um, a dream there. Um, but that's the message that, or that's the link that they've made early on that keeps them locked into that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. What do you think about that? Am I- yeah, I, I, that's... I like your articulation and I, I think that for me where I really approach that from is that it's about the this love and acceptance, right? And if we're going to talk about society and how it's so it's so frustrating to me how the, we're so wired for connection and we don't want to be abandoned and we just want to be loved and accepted and then to have this perpetual everyday message saying that in order to get there, in order to be loved and accepted, in order to feel good about yourself, you have to be a certain way mm. is is just so backwards to yeah. me. And and I have, you know, I get so, I won't get angry here, but I get so angry sometimes. There's so much unhappiness. Yeah. Because our society is stupid. And <laughs> if we just turn it around, I mean, you know, fine, have models, whatever, but we need so many more messages uh, ground level that the true path to happiness is through love and connection with other people. Yes. It doesn't matter how many fat cells you have. Right. If you have, if you have very little fat cells and you got butt kiss for relationships with people, you are going to be a sad individual. Yeah. You're not going to be happy. We're wired for connection. Right. Yeah. We're not wired for abs. No. So, you know, uh, uh, connection, love, ongoing relationships, uh, dedicated, loyal relationships that are cultivated over time. Uh, being good at something is not the path to happiness. Uh, having abs or uh, you know an hourglass figure is not the path to happiness. Uh, if you want to 
do that, great. You know, it's like going fishing. You know, right. it's like it's like an activity for yourself, or working out, or gardening. But we are social beings. We are love creatures. <laughs> uh, we're our closest um, cousins, are bonobos, and if you watch them, that's all they do is groom and love and yeah. have sex and like monitor relationships. And um, every day, it's it's a process of once you get your calories, you make sure. Everyone's good. Yep. Am I good? Okay, you're good. I'm good. You're. Am I good to you? Okay, I, okay. We're we're together. How many bonobos are like you got? You're too fat. You know what I mean? I, right. I'm guessing it's not a huge thing. So that's our society, and that's our pro. You know, that's our problem. That's our media. It's our uh, Western society. It's our. Uh, it's just a bunch of silliness. Um, so let's take a break, and when we get back, let's let's continue talking about the symptoms. Okay. All right, back from the break. So just continuing about the symptoms here. Uh, we talked about body dysmorphia and, and, and her seeing herself as being overweight. Um, they, I, I can't remember if we've talked about this yet because we've been talking for a while, but did they talk, did they portray the, the struggle very well? Do you know what I mean by that? Uh, like, like in my experience, having an eating disorder, especially in the throes that she, I mean, she was in the downward spiral. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much from the beginning of the movie until the very end, mm-hmm. she is she's in a bad way. Mm-hmm. She's not eating. She's losing weight. She's losing cognitive abilities. Mm-hmm. She's not on board with eating. She has brief moments of like kind of eating, but I can really only think of one time when she really ate, and that was like a little bit of that candy bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, in my experience with people, it's there's a lot of emotional turmoil as they go down that road. You know, there's yeah. there's a lot of uh, difficulty and sadness and pain and um, shame mm-hmm. and conflict and just a lot of turmoil mm-hmm. that I've seen in people. Uncertainty, depression, mm-hmm. anxiety. They, they didn't portray that really, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I hadn't thought about that, but now that you bring it up, they're... I yeah I think they could have they kind of painted this picture of her that she was okay right uh, and I don't want to say that like that the could, world around her was yeah, crazy yeah but she was okay and I don't want to say that that could never happen I mean I've seen that before where you just have convinced yourself to the so much to the point that you be, you believe that lie you know you just totally believe that you're fine and so you act like you're fine I've I've seen that but generally. In re- when you so here's how the distinction when you're in residential treatment residential treatment is so emotionally challenging yeah like it's the whole point is to get somebody to feel the thing that they've been avoiding right at least that's my whole kind of approach oh that's interesting just to chime in that yeah. was a major message that I think Keanu says which is the reason why you're doing this is because you, we're trying to figure out what you're trying to avoid right. Is that was that accurate? Yeah, I, yeah, I do. I, I mean, I don't know that I would have said it the same way that he did, but yeah, I think that there's this element of you know you're kind of running from something and you're using this thing to to numb and and you know not engage with. You've certainly lost the connection to yourself. So when you try to help somebody regain that connection and you're really helping them look in the mirror and see these parts of themselves that they don't want to connect to or that are really painful that's incredibly difficult emotionally so when you're in residential treatment you see far more of the tornado kind of really 
intense emotions. Um, so that was a little bit different, I think, in this. She's in residential treatment and she's like, oh, yeah, whatever. I, you know, I, I, I've seen a lot more of roller coastery up and down. Yeah. Yeah. Like when she's having private moments, she just seems to be like, yep, cool, just chilling. Mm-hmm. You know? And in my experience with uh, people who have this sort of profile, they are they know that there is something very difficult just behind the mm-hmm. door. You know, there's something they know they're avoiding something and and they are tight. There's a lot of energy that goes into uh, perpetuating this avoidance right. and it and it and it does and, and re- relaxation is not the vibe I get from people right. in, in that situation. I will say now that I'm talking about this out loud and thinking about this, though, she is really disconnected from this process. That's why she doesn't stay there. Right. So when she comes back to treatment at the very, very end and you see her at the front door and she's, you know, ready to actually make that commitment to do the work. I think that residential stay would look far different than the one that was depicted in the film. Yeah. Let's talk about that in a second. But I just want to go over some other details of the poem before we move on. So it's a six-week program. They have six weeks. Uh, no doors. Did you have no doors? We had doors, uh, but they were often kept ajar at night. Um, there's a privacy thing, too. We don't want to... I mean, if they're in the bathroom... So here's how the bathroom worked. Um, they would count. So Because oftentimes, if anytime there's a closed door, there's the potential for exercise. So they would count, and we got as floor staff and therapists and counselors got really good at detecting if detecting they're, if they're labored breathing if their <laughs> skin was clammy when they came out if it was you know if they were flushed um so in the they shower go to the bathroom in the shower number two well. and they'd have to count mm-hmm. yeah one difficult very two, difficult for some people uh, yeah yeah <laughs> and then we would check to make sure they didn't purge in the toilet oh gosh you could smell it Essentially, right? No, we would go into the bathroom and look in the toilet and check. Oh, they can't flush. No, they can't flush. Oh my goodness! Well, and you come like you you get. Um, they talk about levels in this thing, right? So yeah. you get to the point where you can sort of level up out of that, and like okay. the you you gain trustworthiness. So if and, you're gaining weight, yeah, you're compliant, you're yeah. doing everything, then you can go to the bathroom by yourself because it's because you're doing okay. But yeah. if you're if you're if you're low level, then right. it's like, look, right. you don't have any. Man, so you looked at people's stuff? Oh, yeah. Yep. Whoa. I'm going to be just fine when I have kids. I'm not worried about that at all. <laughs> like I, I, was, I was like, I'm well prepared for this. Yeah, um, it was just part of it, you, you know? And you, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, they didn't depict that in the TV show. No. Um, worker, uh, oh, uh, so she searches the bag for blades, you mm-hmm. know, regarding cutting. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, did you guys, you obviously took everything, so... Yeah, we took everything, and it's pretty amazing what some people will make fashion um, their tools out of. Uh, you can only take so much out. And this, there was always this fine line, too, of, you know, we don't want to make this a completely sterile environment because when they go home, they're going to have these things in their home. So yeah. you take the big things away that could cause a lot of damage, and but, you know, they, like... Pen caps would sometimes make it their way into the. There was a behind her, the character Ellen behind her bed. Um, there was a push, pu- a bulletin board, a cork board with push pins in it, and I just started laughing. We would never give them push pins, <laughs> just because it's too, it's too much, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but the, we, they have pens and things, and you know, like, you know, like you can, if you're really trying, you can create something to harm yourself. Yeah. So let's talk about the the climax, the 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 very end of the movie. 
uh, let's see, uh, uh, there's a session with Keanu, an individual session, mm-hmm. and he is saying something like, stop waiting for someone to make life, life easy for you, mm-hmm. he says. Face life, mm-hmm. and you can have a good life, mm-hmm. was essentially his message. And then, she, and then she says, so essentially you're saying grow a pair. Yeah. Is that right? And And he's like... Um. Yeah, you could say that, and then she's like, "Well, fuck you," and yeah. she leaves. Yeah. What'd you think of that moment? In therapy? <clears throat> Therapeutically, not my style. Uh, I am a pretty direct therapist. You know, I'm not. I I'm not certainly not one that errs around beating around the bush. But that that choice of words and that interaction seemed a little dramatic or you know i i think the mess judgmental yeah yeah just kind of like just harsh you know you have somebody that probably i mean at that point he's talking about she's getting ready to get a feeding tube the next day if she doesn't eat like cognitively she's not there anyway so you know i think as therapists as eating disorders therapists one of the biggest things i learned was you have to take your frustration out of it i think there's a lot of it's very frustrating. Yeah, a lot of space to, you know, ha- you know, this person's, you know, depleting in front of you and you're trying to, like, help them. And that can be incredibly frustrating. And I'm, you know, so you can have these kind of, like, what are you doing moments. And yeah. I certainly had those. Yeah. <laughs> and I learned from them because they're not effective. Mm. Um, it really... You it know, makes the client not want to be in therapy. Yeah, as, as you harm that. You know, the therapeutic relationship is so you're creating one of the hopefully creating one of the first safe things they've felt in a really long time, yeah. and to, you have to be very careful that you don't harm that. Right. It's common for therapists to have countertransference in in any situation that compels them to take over and take responsibility and mm-hmm. just tell people knock it off. And with eating disorders, it's even worse because it's, uh, uh, well, just the nature of the work and, and how protracted it can be mm-hmm. and, and the consequences to not recovering, death being one of them, I think compels therapists to feel even more so, particularly when you care about somebody. Mm-hmm. And so, and you're saying you need to resist that in, in all situations, yeah. let, let alone in these kinds of it's- situations. It's just, in my opinion, not super effective. Of, you know. But what about his message? I mean, say she was in a better place of recovery mm-hmm. and was able to kind of hear it. Is that a good message to sell, to tell someone, look, you know, life isn't easy. Uh, restricting is your way of trying to make life easy. But mm-hmm. life isn't easy. You have to face life um, uh, in order to have a good life. Honestly, I don't know if that would be a good message to give someone in that situation. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think facing... Facing life is a good message. It's so there's so many more elements to that because they don't often know how, and that's that's the problem is that it's so terrifying because of whatever painful thing they've been through. Um, they don't they've either never been taught how they don't know how to navigate those emotions and feelings. What that even looks like, what that even means. Mm. What does it mean to face life? I don't even know what that looks like because I've never been yeah. exposed to that. So yeah, there, it's it, more than just like you got to face life. Yeah. You know, it's a it's little <laughs> doctor. Now that you're saying it's a little doctor Philish. You know, yeah, which is the way a lot of therapy is portrayed in movies and yeah. TV. There's a lot of like, there's this idea of that therapy is about that moment where the therapist really, you know, corners you right. and tells you that, that really poignant thing that you need to hear, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. Okay. Well, so now I'm kind of considering that moment to be stupid. <laughs> at, at a certain point, Keanu says she needs to hit bottom. 
Because so Ellen runs away from the house, and the stepmom comes, and like, what's going on? And Keanu says, look, she has to hit bottom. Is that a common uh, thought? We don't ever really talk about... I, I've never talked about hitting bottom, really. I mean, the goal is always to meet the client where they're at and try to help them to go forward. Yeah. It's not... Yeah, in my experience yeah. with even people who struggle with addiction... For sometimes when you hit bottom, you just sort of scrape the bottom for like years. You yeah, know, it's it's not like boom and at bottom. Okay, it's not a tramp- trampoline. Yeah. Or, it can be, but it's not. It I mean, be. it's not always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so basically, what you're saying is treatment of eating disorders is complicated, <laughs> and there's no easy way to describe. Like, yeah the one thing that's going to work for somebody. There, there is no one thing because we're all different because our experiences inform who we are and our personality and our, all of these things, you know, it's a, it, it's actually why I like doing this work, you know, cause a lot of people don't. Um, I like it because even though there's common threads, there's every case that comes across is different, you yeah. know, and it's just, it's figuring out what works for what person and what's helpful. And, you know, those times where you're not helpful or it doesn't work, you know, navigating that. What does that mean about me? Is it there? You know, it's just like there's so much. There's just so much. So it sounds like a common theme to you in terms of your approach is involving family. Mm-hmm. Also, keeping that relationship going well. Mm-hmm. Manage your countertransference. Don't think that there's an easy answer. Right. Stick by them. Tailor the therapy to that individual. Figure out you know, who they are and what their path is. Absolutely. And uh, if you do that, uh, you're a part of the system that will eventually help them recover. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then the movie ends where she goes to her biological mom and her, the the most bizarre scene ever. She holds her and feeds her milk. Yeah. Which I, when I'm so curious about what you think about this. Well, so it's a common, it's actually common enough that I would, as I was watching, I was like, Oh no, Oh no. Oh no. And then I thought about it. I thought, well, actually, um, there's two things I'll say. One is, is that they portrayed the mom as pretty crunchy, Mm -hmm. which is definitely in line with this sort of, uh, this, uh, this sort of idea of reparenting, they call it, um, will appeal to these sorts of people. Mm hmm. The other thing I'll say is it's very easy to look at that and say like, oh my God, that's terrible, stupid. I don't know. I, I, it could be helpful. It could also be just incredibly stupid. But when you're at that phase in life and she's about to die, honestly, if I was her biological mom, I'd been like, well, we haven't tried this yet. Yeah. <laughs> and it couldn't hurt, I don't think. Yeah. You know, and I'm feeding you and yeah. maybe it'll help. Um, so although some of these treatments can be held up as like in certain small circles as this, well, you got to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they think autism should be treated this way or uh, oppositional defiance disorder should be treated this way. And there's some wisdom to it uh, in terms of going back to the source and, and starting over again emotionally, uh, you know, a corrective experience, if you will, I could mm-hmm. see it happening, but, um, but, as a clinician, I would never recommend it. Let's just put it that way. There's a lot of other ways to make someone feel loved and paid attention to yeah. that that doesn't have to involve something like that. Well, in my mind, it doesn't have to be that dramatic. Yeah. Like there's, there's, this is dramatic enough. It's painful enough. It's difficult enough. It's difficult enough just to sit with your child when they aren't, or, you know, or adult child. It, 
it's different. It's difficult enough to just to sit with them while they struggle eating, yeah. you know, and I, I did a lot of family meals and, you know, kind of helped parents navigate what it looks like to coach their child through a meal and, and how, how does that even come about yeah. and all those things like that's hard enough like this. So I, I, I get what they were going for. Like I get, but I, I, I don't I, know what they were going well, for. Honestly, I get, I, I get sort of like this, like attachment, Right. Kind of. But deal. I couldn't tell if the writer was like, this worked or it didn't work. You know, I couldn't tell. I, I, yeah. I was wondering, are they trying to say this is this that this helped or are they mm. saying it was worthless or because it or were they ambivalent about I think it? They were, I, I, I thought it was pretty ambivalent because they didn't directly tie it to this is why she decided to go back to treatment. But she kind of did. But she did. The next day. But she also ran away. Right. Later that night. So they kind of showed. So I don't uh, know. But, but, yeah. but, but my thing was, wow, that was an interesting twist. And honestly, it was a little distracting in terms yeah. of the story. It's like, I don't think we needed that to happen. I think I think you could have had a different scene there and not had it be so weird because mm-hmm. it, it would re- it really stuck out to me. I was like, it was almost surreal. You yeah. Know I think and some... it seemed against character that Ellen would go along with that. Right. You know, because she was so anti everything right. else. Right. You know, so. And I think that something that would have been more accurate would have been, you know, just around the dinner table and, yeah. and showing what that's like for parents to, you know, love, love and, yeah. and talk about what all of that means. Yeah. So she wanders out into the desert after that. She hallucinates uh, and she almost dies. Mm -hmm. And then she emerges from that. And we don't really know exactly what happened for her, but she realizes in that moment that she wants to try. Mm -hmm. And this, I actually liked the ending. Did you like the ending? I did. Okay. I didn't for the first 10 seconds and I'll explain further, but keep going. Why? Well, because... entertainment value right this is a movie and i'm watching a movie so the movie part of me wanted that like hollywood ending where does like, it go yeah like sh- she achieved recovery and all oh. these things so initially i, I was hate like, hollywood endings so, I, so. I know <laughs> so but i have but i'm i'm you know that's a natural yeah. thing so i was like oh they're not going to show her getting better and then i was and then literally 10 seconds later i was like oh i like it better that they didn't right yeah because it was more accurate i yeah. mean they 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 give a little hope which can happen. I mean, you and I have seen those moments where someone has that moment where we're like, okay, today I'm ready to make this work. Right. And then a week later, they, slip, they slip back. Yeah. And, but that's it's the same with recovery from anything, whether it's trauma or addiction or eating disorders. It, you have good moments and you have, you have sliding back moments. And, it, and you you have a general trend line up Mm -hmm. and years down the line is when uh, you can look back and see progress. Mm -hmm. And so in that moment, so I was like, how are they going to wrap this up? Because if she suddenly gets better, like that seems pretty cheesy. Yeah, I I agree. Um, But I thought it was, I thought it was just masterfully done because, you know, she, she emerges and she, uh, goes back to the home or something. I can't remember what when she does that, but eventually she's she's just like she just has a different vibe on her face, and she's like, "Yeah, I want to try," mm-hmm. you know. And and you don't get the sense it's going to be an easy path ahead of her, right? You get the sense it's going to be hard. She goes back to the group home. That's not going to be fun, you know. Right. You know that has a lot of problems. You know, there's all these things that are ahead of her that you that you get a sense of. And they also didn't have that Hollywood ending where it's like, you know, 
five years later, she's eating and she has a right. kid and right. she has a boyfriend or her and Luke are together yeah. or something, you know, like <laughs> all those kinds of yeah, sort of end of Harry Potter moments. Right. Well, Laura, thanks for joining me on this podcast. Uh, I learned a lot and I'm, I'm guessing the listeners did as well. Uh, any final words you want to say? Oh, love yourself. Really? I mean, I just, yeah, I, I, we don't do that enough. We don't take enough time in our day to appreciate the good things and, and feel, feel the bad, you know, I'm that life's part of pain is part of life is pain. So feel it. Uh, part of pain is life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, feel it. Don't run from it, but, but really, really give yourself credit. We don't give ourselves enough credit. So just, just love who you are. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it.